seeing or believing what you cannot see. Well, they see it. They see what we cannot. They see God's majesty. They experience the, the presence of God's holiness. I mean, these are the creatures who were, who were present at the creation of the world. I mean, they, they beheld the displays of, of God's power beyond what we can begin to imagine. So, yes, this is glory to God in the highest. Now, such a simple doxology just sums up what, what can be said in praise to God, whom these angels know as fully as can be known by any creature. So, then what of the benediction? Okay, again, the benediction on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, or if you're reading in your NIV, it has to men on whom his favor rests. Now, it's, it's easy in fact, as I started working on this, to view the song as, well, you got one part focused on, on heaven. And indeed, as I, as I was beginning working the sermon, okay, I'll, I'll work on that part that's about heaven. And then there's the second part about earth. So you have the angels are caught up in their praise to God of, of heaven. And then they, they kind of say, oh, yes, oh, yeah, there is earth too. Bless you humans down there. Peace, peace to you. Okay. Now, again, we've already noted, you know, this is what the angels are always doing. They're giving glory to God, and we've noted the good reasons for doing it. But here in this case, evidently, the angels have broken out in this praise to God, this doxology, precisely because of what is happening on earth. And what is happening? Well, the angel had already told the shepherds this. There is a good news of great joy that will be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The long-awaited Messiah, that's the, the Aramaic term for Christ, has come. And so they're breaking out. Glory to God in the highest. Maybe you can remember. Can you remember way back when you were children? September rolled around. Perhaps it popped into your mind that Christmas was in distant sight. You know, November arrives and it seems so close, particularly when you get the catalogs. Mine was the Solomon catalogs. And you open up for where the presents are. It's so close and yet so far away. And finally, finally, after long weeks of waiting, well, St. Nick apparently had arrived. How do you know? The evidence is there under the tree. Now, I, I don't know how angels measure earth time. Okay. But even for angels, it must have seemed like a long time since God first spoke of that offspring of Eve there at the fall in, in the Garden of Eden, who would bruise the head of the serpent, Satan. And now, that offspring has been born. And so they cry out, glory to God in the highest. And then they think about, you know, the Messiah, as they say, this is Christ, is a Savior. Indeed, he is the Savior. See, all the other Saviors, 
And, and, and again, you've got to think about this. The angels, have, they're, they've been without all this human history. They've been watching all of this. Okay. And they see Moses. And Moses delivering his people. And there's the ten plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea. The leading through the wilderness. But he wasn't the Savior. He prefigured the Savior. That Savior who would deliver his people out of the greatest bondage, that of to sin. Who would fight much greater enemies known as Satan and death. And then there's David the king who, who comes and he establishes the kingdom of Israel in security. He wins victory over, over all of Israel's enemies. Well, even he. This was not the long-awaited Messiah, anointed one. He is but the symbol of the great king who would establish the kingdom of God and sit on the throne forever. And now this Savior King, he's come. So glory to God in the highest. And then they say, the Savior Messiah is, is what? He's the Lord. See, now we enter into the greater mystery that would have astounded the angels. Again, you've got to think like an angel here. They understand just who the Messiah is. He's the mighty God that was spoken of in Isaiah 9-6. To be precise, he is God the Son. He's the second person of the Trinity. And it's this reality that staggers the imagination of the angels. I'm going to read to you a quote. It's kind of a little bit of a long quote, but it's just so good. It's by J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God. And he, he just expresses so well the wonder of this truth. He says, the supreme mystery, supreme mystery of the, of the Christian faith, lies in the Christmas message of incarnation. That Jesus of Nazareth was God-made man, The second person of the Godhead became the second man, determining human destiny. The second representative head of the race, you know, Adam was the first. And that that he took humanity without loss of deity. So that Jesus of Nazareth was as truly and fully divine as he was human. Here are two mysteries for the price of one. You have the, the plurality of persons within the unity of God, you know, the three persons in one, and then the union of Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus. You know, you got this Trinity, that's enough, and now there's fully God and there's fully man. It is here, in the thing that happened at the first Christmas, that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The Word was made flesh. God became man. The divine Son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, 
the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. Now, what J.I. Packer writes, and we agree with, you think about it, we hold this by faith. You know, we've read the scriptures, we reason about it with our minds, like, like, like Packer was doing. But think about it. The angels know the divine Son. They have bowed before and worshipped the second person of the Godhead. They have stood in his presence, covering their eyes before the glory of this holy God. And now he is incarnated. He has taken fully the flesh of man, and he's a baby. Glory to God in the highest. But there's even more to astound the angels. You know, when you, when you consider again the perspective of what God became, a human being. Now, it might astound us, and it does. Isn't this wondrous that, that God became one of us on the same level of us? Well, it truly astounds the angels that God became a creature who was on a lower level than the angels. I mean, you think of that. David said of man in, in Psalm 8:5, You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. And the writer of Hebrews, he picked up on this. And he says, We, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. I mean, wow, what mystery! And so glory to God in the highest. But there's more. So it's not only that God would create a, a creature on a lower order than angels. That's not just it that astonishes them. But that God would dwell among sinful creatures. You know, man, both male and female, had been made in the image of God, and God walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But that was before the fall. I mean, after the fall, man is sin-filled. And for an angel, look, it's, it's challenging enough for angels to stand in the presence of the Holy God, angels who are not sinning. How then could God dwell with sinful men and not just destroy them? Now, this is where the physical circumstances of the baby lying in a manger kind of gives us some understanding. I mean, isn't it, you know, we're, we're awed by the humble circumstance of Jesus' birth. Some of you in the health care, no doubt you can think of the unhygienic circumstances that were involved. Well, the angels, what they find incredulous is the unholy circumstance. The God of whom they had cried out in the heavenly temple, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's come to earth to dwell as man among sinful man. Glory to God in the highest. And still the wonder of the first Christmas swells the astonishment of angels as they would have contemplated the reason for the Incarnation. 
For God the Father is sending God the Son to save these sinners, these sinful creatures. There's no record of God doing the same for the fallen angels, you know, who had joined with Lucifer. However much, you know, we might wonder. You know, some of us do. You know, we'll think about this. How could God hold all of mankind accountable for the sin of Adam? And what we do know very well is the history of mankind. There's a history of sin, isn't it? War, murder, jealousy, immorality, lying, stealing, the list just goes on. There, there is no time period. There's never been a community that exists or has existed in which total peace reigns. I mean, even in such an idyllic place as Lake Oconee, okay, it happens. And as much as we might like to depict ourselves as victims of sin, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 10, they make very clearly the way angels would have seen us. Sinners and even enemies of God. And so when the angels said, on earth, peace, though I'm sure they're, they're faithfully delivering the message God has given to them, No doubt they are passing that message on with wonder as such an incredible message. Peace is coming to earth. Peace is lying in a manger. You know, the event and the message that these angels, you know, could have been sent on and they would have they would have expected him. It could have been the same message that they would have been sent to to Lot. Remember, a couple of angels went there to Lot to say what? Destruction has come to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, these angels here at Bethlehem could have had the same message, and they would still have cried out glory to God in the highest as justice finally came and was consummated on Judgment Day. But it was not justice that was their message. It was mercy. It was not wrath that was proclaimed, but rather peace, glory to God in the highest. And to whom is that peace for? Well, again, my version from the ESV, among those with whom he is pleased or on whom his favor rests. Now, we humans, again, we might question this, particularly this kind of new translation of the NIV and English Standard Version. Isn't it it supposed to be peace on earth? Shouldn't it be for all men and women? That's how the King James Version translates this. And it's what we sing in in our Christmas carols. But actually, all the modern translations now, what most all most uh, the modern translators believe is is this is the right wording upon whom God's favor rests or with whom God is pleased. Now, again, we, we might, you know, kind of scratch our head at that. But for angels, here would have been the question. Not why would be peace be limited to those with whom God is pleased, but that God could be pleased with anyone? We're all sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. No one is justified in the sight of God. 
So the scriptures say the angels would have understood that. How then could God be pleased with anyone? Well, apparently God can be pleased with anyone on whom he has determined that he will place his favor. There's no working for a favor. There's no redeeming oneself or being a sinner. God, in spite of of everyone being a sinner, still determines to bring the peace of reconciliation to many. And he is determined to achieve reconciliation. And that instrument of that reconciliation is found in this baby lying in a manger. Glory to God in the highest. Now think, too, about how that peace comes. What must the Messiah do? Why must God become man? What's the purpose behind this mysterious, glorious event? Now here is where I'm not certain that the angels knew at this point. I mean, did they know that the Son of God was born for the purpose of dying? That the glorious victory over death would be won by succumbing to the inglorious death on a cross? Could they? Could they have ever understood the temptation to sin as was going to be experienced by the Messiah when he took on our frail flesh? Could they understand that giving in to such temptation, that that would be the battle that would be waged by Christ the Lord and Satan? Could they understand, do they even understand now, the concept of faith? What it's like to believe what one cannot see when you consider that they see everything that we cannot? Could they understand how faith would be the key to sinners becoming justified? That the salvation brought by the Savior meant that people would not have to rely on the same kind of obedience that the angels have always given. Could they understand fully the gospel? This news of great joy that they had had just proclaimed. Could they understand that fully? Peter, 1 Peter 1.12 says that the good news of salvation contains, quote, things into which angels long to look. Look, If they are still longing to look after the event of Christ's death and resurrection, what is it that they didn't know at his birth? And so for all the the things that angels knew as creatures who stand in the presence of God. For all the power of God that, is, that was displayed at creation. And they were there. For all that, that glory of dwelling in heaven and whatever dimensions they inhabit. It's the good news of Christ's birth that exceeded their comprehension. The depth of mystery that the angels had were able to plunge, it only took them to mystery that they still could not delve. And the height that they rose to led them to learn that God's nature and God's power, yes, are truly the highest, far higher than they 
could go. Glory to God in the highest. And so you. Do you? Will you glorify God in the highest? Now, let me read that, that full context of that passage I mentioned in First Peter about angels. Let me read the whole thing. Peter says, concerning this salvation, he's talking about our salvation. Okay? The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or, or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you. Through those who preach the good news to you. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Prophets of long ago longed to understand the very, their own prophecies of the Messiah. And all that they came to know was that this good news of the Savior is for a people in the future. That the prophets were not serving their own people in their time, but us. And the angels on the Christmas morning, they were serving those shepherds and us. Not their fellow angels. This glorious, incomprehensible mystery of God becoming man, of the infinite God becoming this small baby, was enacted for your sake. It was given as a gift to you. What can you do but exclaim with the angels, glory to God in the highest? And if there is any here who have, you know, you've, you've, you've always known this story, You've always thought of it as, you know, it's a quaint myth, you know, on that, that our parents and others have told at Christmas time. But can you, will you look into the glory of such good news? Just ask yourself this. What if it is real? What if there is something more than this, this material world? What if there is real glory? Real mystery. Real mercy and love and peace that lie as a gift to you from your Creator. What if you could join in with all of your heart and cry out with the angels, with the rest of us, glory to God in the highest. We do give you all praise to our great God. Glory to you, our great God in the highest. We give you praise for this wondrous peace that you have brought to us through the, your Son, who became one of us, gave himself there upon the cross, who rose again from the dead. Oh, glory to God in the highest. Amen.